0: Hello and welcome to STEM Radio Hour. Before we begin, the STEM Radio Hour show would like to acknowledge the financial support of the Taylor Institute of Teaching and Learning at the University of Calgary, the Imperial Oil Foundation, and the Workland School of Education at the University of Calgary, Canada.
1: This is not how you dream? No. Is
2: this how you
0: dream? I don't remember any dreams. But they, did, but
1: you know, they didn't look like this, okay. The yeah. ones
0: that I remember. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Do you dream like this? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: And it's not terrifying. No, no. this this
1: this is fabulous. Uh, a friend of mine did a uh, documentary about the Canadian poet B. P. Nickel, and there's a scene in the documentary uh, taken through a train, looking out at a landscape going by, and as you watch, you see these like, these huge letters huge monstrous letters through the trees like these huge printed letters just (laughs) like a giant a seeing as and it's just like wow it's plucked right out of my dreams it's crazy how how uh, that's that's what i that's what i see when i close my eyes yeah that's what the that's that's what that's what the alphabet does now it's just a matter of trying to get that freeze that moment
0: Epistemology is the study of the nature of knowledge and knowing. It provides insights into how we know what we know and what we consider to be the truth. In this episode, we'll speak with the poet Derek Beaulieu, and we'll discuss how his visual poetry can teach us to question what we think we know about language and technology. Hi there, I'm Alicia Wilson, co-producer of the show and Bachelor of Education student at the Workland School of Education. Today we sit down with Derek Bolia, who is Calgary's Poet Laureate from 2014 to 2016. Also with us is Dr. Pratim Sengupta of the STEM Radio Hour team. Pratim is a Research Chair of STEM Education and Associate Professor of Learning Sciences in the Workland School of Education. Derek walks into the lab wearing a bright yellow Hawaiian shirt, a fedora, and a broad smile. Bertim and I sat down with him, and throughout our conversation, he created a piece of visual poetry. D- do you hear that? That's the sound of Derek making his poem. He's rubbing the letters, numbers, and special characters of set, or dry transfer lettering, onto their new home, a large piece of paper. To give you a sense of what visual poetry is,
1: basically, visual poetry is poetry that is uh, designed to be stared at or looked at, but not necessarily to be read. Okay. So it uses all the pieces of language, it uses letters or punctuation marks or sentences or even words, but it does so in a way that foregrounds their visibility and not necessarily their readability. So you are looking at writing as opposed to reading writing. I see. Right? Yeah. See the difference? Yeah. Yeah, and And so it's a different skill set in terms of how we approach and how we understand.
0: Visual poetry invites the viewer to contemplate what they see. The words or letters don't always mean something on their own. But when you step back and look beyond their standalone definition, you can see something new. Kind of like looking at the stars and finding constellations. And if you ask someone else what they see, chances are it'll be something different. The fact that everyone sees something different is something that Derek really enjoys about this style of poetry. He tells us about the challenges in encountering a visual poem.
1: Our words and our letters are safely ensconced in understanding. He's like, oh yeah, a J here. Sounds like J, and I got it. You know, everything's doing fine. The language is safe. I'm good. I, I know what to do here. And we rarely have to ask a poet, how do I read this?
0: Language allows us to represent, create meaning, and share our experiences. We can craft stories and use literal and symbolic representations. But we rely on mutually agreed upon meanings to make sense of it all.
1: Using these signs, which collectively are supposed to point to meaning, so like you put a, you know, a D and O and a G together and it says dog, and we hear, you know, four legs and a lot of bow wow wow and and tail and all this kind of stuff the work that i end up creating is not pointing towards a subject matter you don't look at this and say okay it is a representation of a boat or a flower or a still life or whatever uh so even the parts that are supposed to combine and mean aren't doing that
0: the poem that's in front of me and others like it ask us to suspend what we think we know the english alphabet can do the viewer-reader is asked to reevaluate what the letters do. This kind of work challenges how language can be used to represent. But why make the recognizable unrecognizable?
1: My opinion is, is that the most beautiful representation mm-hmm. presents the thing that you're looking at or for mm-hmm. in a way that provides surprise. There's a brush stroke that's off. There's a color that's just a little more than it was. There is always an element of misrepresentation or lack of faithfulness. A strange fidelity. That that's the poetic moment. Now, it even could be that all these things are are the way they always are, and it's then the the poet's job or the artist's job to have you pay attention to a moment of beauty that you have been taken for granted, right? And you do that by presenting it in an unusual way or in an unusual context. I
2: think what Derek just described is so fundamental to doing science, because science is exactly about that. Creating fictive descriptions of real things that help us understand elements within these real things or experiences that we can't really directly access. Mm. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Help us explain the things we already know in ways that we don't.
0: Science and art provide us with new ways of seeing things. The literary critic, Viktor Shklovsky, called this technique of making the familiar unfamiliar Translated from Russian, it means estrangement or to make strange. When we see or experience something frequently, we take it for granted and don't give it much thought. Austrinienie is the art technique that makes us re-evaluate the things that we take for granted. As Pratim said, science challenges the assumptions we make about what we know. In the process of looking deeper and deeper into a topic, the bigger picture is understood in a new way. And sometimes, we come to realize that our accepted knowledge is wrong. Derek is breaking up individual letters and is putting the pieces around the page. I think that last one was an N. What would that sound like? Would that be the E eh part of the N, or the N part of the N? He's deep into the process. Hmm. Have you ever seen a piece of art and thought, why would the artist do that? What makes that art?
1: You see a a massive postmodern work that's just a giant canvas painted in yellow, and somebody walks up and goes, my five-year-old could do that. Yeah, your five-year-old could do it, but you couldn't. Yeah. Uh, Not because you can't, but because you don't have the guts. And that this artist actually would argue that... A giant yellow painting is as important in terms of what we understand art as being able to do as that painting, which you think is art, uh, because it actually pushes our understanding, pushes, pushes our parameters. And that's, I think that's the role of the artist. Think in a way that is beyond our thinking. Create another little piece. And that's, that's the role of art, is to do things that we didn't know that art could do.
0: Experimenting with colour in media and questioning what it can do is quite like conducting a scientific investigation. Art and STEM disciplines explore and question what we think we know. So, how did we get to a place where a giant yellow painting pushes our understanding?
1: A colleague of mine talks about what he sees as the crisis of painting. He, he, he talks about that the crisis of painting is this period after the, the development of photography that basically come the 1870s. If you wanted um, the representation of a of yourself or a person or a landscape or a house or a, your favorite horse or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, up until that point, you'd commission a painting. You'd ask somebody to paint your portrait to hang above the mantelpiece and you know create an accurate representation of you and your life. Come the advent of photography, and that representation can now be done faster and better and more realistically by a photographer. Mm -hmm. And cheaper. Which means that painting was now confronted with a big question about what its role is. What do I do when I don't need to uh, represent anymore? And you get Impressionism, and you get pointillism, and you get the rise of the artwork in the late nineteenth late nineteenth century and early twentieth century. You get the rise of abstract, non-representational artwork because now artists can actually just paint, paint.
0: This identity crisis caused by photography prompted an exploration into representation and meaning, and like art. Science also operates through a dynamic system of concepts, theories, tools, and representations. Andrew Pickering, who is a philosopher, calls this jumble of aspects the quote-unquote mangle of practice. Science experiences crises just like how photography challenged representational art. Sometimes, in the process of answering scientific questions, Existing theories and representations can be upended. And sometimes we're even forced to create and innovate new tools and techniques just to accomplish our goals. And so often what comes from advancement is not what we anticipated. Derek tells Bertim and I that writing's transformation hasn't had the same reception.
1: Writing? We are still struggling with that. Writing, I don't think, is freed from its need to mean. We look at words, and they have to point. D O G has to point to dog. Mm. I think abstract language—it's—it's it, a—it's a space of discovery now for writers. How does language work when, when freed from its need to represent, freed from its need to? Symbolize. Authors have been have been engaging with this uh, for the pretty much the same length of time as painters have. Oh. How can what can language do differently now? Right? What does it do? Uh, something else. <laughs> I think maybe it has the ability uh, to go for a walk. It has the ability to try to act in a way that is doing something else.
0: Derek doesn't claim to know how his creations work. And his work's function changes with the context. In the past, innovations that sprung from something like the invention of the glass lens would have been practically unknowable to the inventor. The advent of the internet is changing that. So many innovators are right there within reach. Derek shares his work on the internet so that it can encounter many people and
1: experiences. I want it to be free to bump into other weirdos, you know, and allow the conversation to be generative around how their assumptions of what language can do kind of undermine or challenge or uh, undo what my assumptions were.
0: The internet allows for far-reaching interactions with the imaginations of others. It expands the possibilities for innovation, Open science and open source information are using this same principle to propel forward at an unprecedented rate. So how does poetry push the edges of our imaginations?
1: Poetry is is language's nightmare, right? If my intention was to write you a clear sentence, and it is a clear sentence, chances are it's not a poem. If If my intention was to write you an unclear sentence that's still communicated now it's a poem it's doing something Mm -hmm. it's not supposed to so
2: are you (laughs) you, you blurring the line between an image and a symbol?
1: Uh, sure Uh, and maybe even more so between an image and a text
0: they say a picture is worth a thousand words I don't know who they are but I agree with them Images can recall stories, events, memories. A word on its own is limited in meaning, and we tend to take words for granted and accept them at their face value. Meanwhile, Derek's poem is changing. The letters are becoming larger in size, and they're more intact. It feels like I'm watching an explosion that's been frozen in time.
1: And if, if this is me just, like, exploring the edges of what I think a poem can do and kind of pushing and pushing and pushing and letting this spread out, uh, either by pushing, like, the muscle memory or pushing my understanding, it's like, okay, I didn't think a J and a B could move in these directions together, but now I know that they can. The next time I encounter a J and a B together, they're going to, I don't know, they're going to dance a, a du- duet and learn a few more steps. My alphabet now does something that yours doesn't. Mm. And it does something that I didn't know I could do before. Therefore, I've grown, grown as an artist. Could I tell you what that was? Could I actually say, what did you learn here? I learned that a J and a B can tango. Those two letters can now tango in a way that I didn't know that they could tango before.
0: The mental image of a J and a B doing the tango is a curious one. There was really nothing that stopped them from dancing together before. It just never occurred to me that they could or would ever do that.
1: That's what letters do. They, you know, they move like atoms and they bang up against each other. And they they do so in a way that was unexpected. They're all supposed to be moving down this way. And suddenly it's like, boink, and something moves across this way. And suddenly you get this domino effect of strangeness and that's where these two letters start banging together and 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 in any in a moment of you know a fractious little moment of beauty happens in a way that you didn't expect
0: the power of Derek's art is in its invitation to challenge and undermine assumptions it defamiliarizes the familiar and the ordinary
2: I think there is a certain act of decoding and defamiliarization that I think is foundational to knowledge and knowing. And I think Derek's work is a new technology for hacking the alphabet in (laughs) any language. Figuring out how a J and B can tango is the invention of a new technology.
0: I think of Derek's role as a poet like that of a biologist or chemist and engineer. He's observed his subject matter doing something odd, something unexpected. He has innovated a way to show us, hey, did you know those things that you see every day actually do some really weird things? It looks like this. His visual poem is a monochromatic symphony. The letters that I have been using or ignoring every day are doing something magical. Their edges are rough and they're leaving the two-dimensional confines of the paper. They're expanding and becoming clearer at the edges, like a ripple on the surface of a still, reflective pond. Derek's process of creation allows for a constant surprise. For the reader, interacting with Derek's work is always unexpected. It challenges what we understand about knowledge, meaning, and technology. Art can help us challenge assumptions about knowledge and technology. It reminds us of the importance of play and surprise in learning and creating. It's a tool that allows us to question everything, and to share our experiences in a way that are at once powerful and surprising. next episode, we continue our conversation on the relationship between art and technology. We'll speak with Weston Sandberg and Pratim as they discuss their collaboration on making music with code and making code for music. Thank you for listening. Alicia Wilson signing off.